One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time. Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids. Tony is 12 and Libby and Nate are nine. And I have two kids. Jay is six and Kenny is three. They are all pretty adorable, wouldn't you say so? They sure are. So we like to get our mom stories out at the beginning of the episode so you don't have to listen to them later. Deborah, what have your kids been up to lately? So Libby and Nate are in the same classroom this year. They were last year too because of COVID reasons. And they do all the same assignments. And they did this project in art where they were making, remember coil pots? It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And they have a kiln and then they glazed them and um they brought them home and Libby's was like this very perfect rendition of a volcano color like the mountain was brown the lava was red it looks exactly like a volcano you can tell what it is right away and then Nate's is like abstract so it's like the base of a coil pot and then there are like coils going every which way and then he used like every color glaze that they have in different spots so it's just like so funny to see two kids who are have always been treated the same and grow up in the same family and how different they approach art projects nature versus nurture indeed (laughs) and they both sound like good pieces to display on the mantle right 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 how about your kids what have they been up to uh well this is one that I thought you would find entertaining if none of our listeners do because it's a little bit librarian specific (laughs) so I recently (laughs) signed up for a music streaming service for the first time it for the purpose of teaching those music classes yeah, But a little side benefit is that I just shove all songs that my boys like onto one playlist called For the Boys. And we just put that on shuffle. So they're always theoretically listening to something they want to hear. And I don't have to deal with, Mom, skip this. Or I want to be listening to this because I can just say, we're listening to your podcast. This is all your music. That's what's going on. Right. So the bad thing is that Jay has started requesting very specific video game theme songs to be added to the playlist. Oh, no. I know where you're going. Yeah. And these are available to be searched. And, like, I was happy enough to put, like, the classic Super Mario theme on there. That's fine. But things are getting way more specific. And lately, he's been saying, Mom, I really want the Boss Rush song from Mario and so I I humor him. I search it. There's like one title that comes up. It's like this 30 second blip of a song that you would expect mm-hmm. being from a video game. And I play it and he is not satisfied with this. So from the back seat, he very explicitly tells me, Mom, just search Mario Party 9 space 
boss <laughs> rush <laughs> while you're driving yes <laughs> <laughs> I just thank you buddy thanks I was really not sure how to search for this <laughs> Ugh, the video game music is why do they want to listen to it? I think it's terrible. I once paid money, I think, to download sheet music for a song called Calamari Incantation from some video game. I don't know what it's from. Wow. For a while, they wanted to listen to Minecraft theme music, which is like the mo- It's just like do, 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 on and on yeah. and on. Um, And then we discovered this awful, and I won't name the band because maybe they're not awful. I don't know. This like pop punk band that only does songs about Minecraft. And they were really (laughs) into that for a while. (laughs) Oh my goodness. All right. So for today's Screen Time in the News segment, Deborah sent me a great article from Mashable, which sidebar I had not thought of as a reputable news service, but they actually (laughs) do like write articles okay here we go it's called wake up oscars animation isn't just for kids by belen edwards and it came out on march 28th 2022 i don't exactly know when we will post this episode but in our world right now the oscars happened recently and while accepting his award for best animated short director alberto mielgo Alberto Mielgo said, animation for adults is a fact. It's happening. Let's call it cinema. So the article goes on to criticize the Oscars telecast, where the hosts and presenters talked about how much kids love cartoons, and the Oscars more broadly, where no feature for adults has won Best Animated Feature since the category was introduced in 2001. The article quotes a tweet by Phil Lord, who was a producer of Mitchell's vs. the Machines, saying, Super cool to position animation as something that kids watch and adults have to endure. Which, Phil, I mean, more on that, more on that later. But <laughs> <laughs> The article goes on to say that animation for adults has always been around and to cite some of the most famous examples like Persepolis and the triplets of Belleville, yada, yada, yada. And it seems on the whole that the article is making two separate arguments. One, that quality animated features are made for adults and are not appropriate for children. And they exist and we should recognize that. And two, that animated movies that are made and marketed as for kids actually also have something to offer adults. And he mentions Encanto, Mitchell's versus the Machines, and Turning Red as examples here. And I think it can be fairly said that we would agree with him on that last point, at least. Mm-hmm. Oh, my first thought was like, oh, no, have we done this? I, do we denigrate animated properties? Because um, we talk about tolerating things right. to watch for a family movie night. But I don't think it's because they're animated. I mean, we're always watching things that are made and marketed to children. And we're trying to enjoy them as adults. And I think we do see that there is a lot for us in uh, stuff that's made for children. Yeah, I think if there's anything that we've learned lately is that there's just been a huge explosion of content. And with a huge explosion of content, there is going to be drek. There is going to be animation that adults just have to tolerate because it's made for children and there's not a lot of thought put into it. But there's going to be great stuff, too. 
Yeah. And it also made me think of like how comedies never are given enough artistic and critical acclaim and are underrepresented in the nominees and the award winners because they're not like serious dramas that win awards. And I think animation kind of falls into that category. Like just because something is animated doesn't necessarily mean it's light. Mm -hmm. I worry about the field of animation being taken more seriously. And I just want to put a little warning out there to any female animators to just be careful about your profession joining the ranks of respected professions because mm. as with teaching and librarianship all the top jobs will be taken by men and you will be stuck in underpaid low-level jobs because animation is serious business now i'm just saying oh, maybe you think you Katie, want that's... it but you don't really want it <laughs> that's true deborah's making a very sad face right now yeah, no, that is true. I also didn't know, okay, because in my Twitter, I follow like kids show creators for the pod. And all of a sudden I started seeing this hashtag show up, um, like new deal for animation. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that animation creators were in like a different union in the animation guild. And I didn't know that they made so little money. Mm-hmm that's really too bad. And they, they don't get like residuals because they're working freelance and there's all kind of kinds of problems that I'm not an expert on to speak expertly about, but it was eye-opening to see this hashtag and the issues that folks who work really hard in that industry and then um, just can't have a hard time getting ahead. And there's so much good work being done, even in the things that are that are supposedly made for kids like it I don't know I feel like there's this false binary now in this article like either it's made for adults and it's serious and good art or it's made for kids and it's silly which is a silly argument really and I don't want to see us pushing too far in the other direction where the only good animation that gets made the only experimentation with the form is now all of a sudden done in movies and shows just for grown-ups because I think that would do a real disservice to to kids and the content that they have available and to families really right can I just do a quick tirade (laughs) on on the dearth of true family films because I there's this been there's been this siloization with content for kids and content for adults, like there has been siloization of everything in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. And we don't have this category of family films. We call things family films. But what we really mean when we say that is movies that are made for kids that the whole family has to watch, right? Right, right. But that doesn't have to be the case. Like movies really can have things for everyone. And by calling them family films, maybe we just need a new name. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's this implicit, oh, well, you know, it's good for kids, but adults can just tolerate it. Exactly. I I was thinking about the Jungle Cruise, right? Right. You and I like the Jungle Cruise a lot. We thought it was a good yes. family film with a dose of adventure that the kids could find funny and like larger themes. And yes, yeah, some like racy jokes for the grownups. Fine. I went to see the new Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum. Why did I say Bullock like that? That is okay. <laughs> I went to see 
That's absurd. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I went to see the new Sandra Bullock Channing Tatum movie, The Lost City. And it's about a romance writer and her cover model, like exploring or like looking for lost historical artifacts in the jungle. As I was watching it, I kept thinking about the Jungle Cruise. And I thought to myself, other than the fact that she's a romance writer and there are some like explicit sex jokes, this could also be a family film. And I feel like 40 years ago, it would have been. We would have probably been seeing this movie in the theaters with our families. Right. And it's just sad to me that we need to have this bifurcation. Like, why can't we all just get along? Right. Good tirade. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure it ended up anywhere, but I got to say absurd, which made me feel good. Should we move into our general topic today? We probably should because I'm exhausted from that. Okay, go ahead. Listeners, it's time for another It's My Screen Time to Lightning Round. Mm-hmm. It's been a little over 10 episodes since our last lightning round, and we do these when our watch list just grows too large and unwieldy, and we have to clear out the cobwebs and make way for new stuff. So we each do a quick review of two shows. That's a total of four shows for this episode, and we tell you what we watched, what we liked, what we didn't like, if we recommend it. I watched on Katie's recommendation, Making Fun. She watched Ridley Jones. I watched The Snoopy Show and Katie watched Head of the Class. So we'll review each one in in that order. Netflix put out Making Fun this year in 2022 and It features a grumpy maker and his four friends, and they take pitches from kids, real kids, and then they decide which absurd (laughs) invention to actually make in their um, like dream workshop. Katie talked about it on a recent show. So now it's my turn to weigh in. I was very entertained and I enjoyed watching this, but I did not like it. (laughs) Tell me more. Okay. So the description really got me like, it's funny. Like the maker is this grumpy guy and he's like, if I feel like it, I'll make what these kids pitch me. But then it got me thinking like, it's totally socially acceptable for a man to be a get off my lawn type of grump or grouch. But are there any female grouches the one I could think of was Fran Lebowitz that's true but she is performing her grumpiness as a man would perform it it's not like a feminine grumpiness right that's a really good point I guess the first one my mind goes to and she's not even really grumpy she's just abrupt is Edna Mode from the Incredibles movies. And she's not even a real person. Right, right. So like they make fun of the short guy. They make fun of having a good vocabulary. They make a lot of fun of the French Canadian. I know. And it's like five white duck dynasty looking guys. Like the stuff they make is really cool. I really liked seeing how they put together the taco throwing dinosaur (laughs) fascinating but it's so 
such a display. It's like hiding toxic masculinity inside this giant dinosaur made out of house insulation and dressed up to look like a super funny gag. That's harsh. Can I tell you something? It's not going to make you happier. Later (laughs) on, they introduce a woman maker. Oh, no. And you know why? Why? It's for her artistic abilities. Okay. I mean, you could make this show with any number of people. Like, I'm sure there are people in the maker industry who are not white duck dynasty looking guys who are insecure over how tall they are. I mean, think about the television show Repair Shop. Have you watched that show? No. Okay. So it's this motley crew of charming British people fixing antique toys and whatnot. But, you know, it's a woman there stitching the leather of that saddle back together. It's not Mm -hmm. like the burly man dealing with horse stuff. I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. My kids really liked making fun. We all laughed a lot. We all learned a lot about like the tools and stuff because neither Jeremy or I are handy people at all. Mm -hmm. So I would probably watch it again, but it made me feel kind of nostalgic for the days when I had time to watch a lot of Project Runway. Yeah. And just see like a very like just a room full of people who aren't like any other people. You know what I mean? Anna Wintour. Isn't she a woman who's like famously grouchy? Oh yeah. That's a good one. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's very successful. Mm-hmm. Also a little racist. Yeah, and like also heavily mocked by the culture in a way that like grumpy men are not. Right. So moving on to the preschool show that I watched. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Ridley Jones, a Netflix series that was created by Chris Nee. Do you remember Chris Nee? She created Doc McStuffins. Love Doc McStuffins. Yes, love it. So I was super excited about this when it was first announced. I think I posted the trailer on our social media and we just didn't get around to reviewing the show on the pod. So here you go. It premiered in July of 2021. It's had three very short seasons with only like four to six episodes, the latest of which was just dropped in February of 2022. It's produced by Brown Bag Films, which is a Canadian animation outfit based in Dublin. And if I say Doc McStuffins or Vampirina or even the Octonauts, you'll get a good idea of the visual look of this show. It feels very of a piece of their other work. And interestingly, according to Wikipedia, Blythe Danner voices Ridley's grandmother and Sutton Foster voices her mother, which I did not pick pick up at all while watching, but... I was interested to see when doing some idle, idle Googling after the fact. So here goes the plot, right? Ridley is a little girl that lives in a children's museum in a tree house with her mother and grandmother. And they are tasked with protecting the various artifacts in the museum, both in their inanimate form during the day and at night when they come to life with the assistance of a magic compass. So it kind of comes off as a combo of Indiana Jones and from the mixed up files of Miss Basil E. Frankweiler, which I know you also loved as a child. (laughs) And there are obvious night at the museum vibes going on. And it's also cool that the ability and the responsibility to protect the museum is passed down solely through the female line. I was on board with that. The two adult female characters, her 
Ridley's mother and grandmother also have like that appealing hippie design where they kind of look a little bit like real women. Uh huh. Like that too. There's a healthy dose of anti capitalist disdain for the man who owns the museum. He's like a fat cat who prizes profit over integrity, and they're always like razzing him. I love an anti capitalist theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and there's a whole museum worth of side characters just begging for adults to invest with invented backstory while they are idly watching the show with their preschoolers. So those are all the good things about Ridley Jones. There are some less cool things. So it's stated in the pilot that this is a children's museum that they live in, but it appears to have real artifacts in it. It's unclear what's a replica and what is made for children to play on. Like when I think children's museum, Mm -hmm. I think... It's there to have like tactile things and like big exhibits that are more about play and teaching about history, but they don't have the actual objects. Do you have the same sense of what a children's museum is? Yeah. I mean, it's like learning through play, not a lot of signs, Mm -hmm. not a lot to read, a lot to do. So this seems much more like a traditional museum. Well, it's also clear that things that are replicas come to life. So is it their job to protect the replicas or are they protecting actual artifacts? <laughs> it's, I don't know. I I couldn't suss it out in the amount that I watched. <laughs> like, there's the young mummy who might be a real mummy. She comes mm-hmm. to life and interacts with Ridley and her mother and grandmother. But then there are also like the tiny figures of two like gold prospectors from like a diorama. They come to life too. They're clearly not real. So just is the job of the Jones women a sacred one to protect the world's history from destruction? Or is it to protect like this very isolated world of fake historical objects, which seems a little (laughs) less weighty? Yeah. Clearly, I got a little bit too much into this. I was like, first of all, how old is this museum if the Jones women's have been protecting it for generations? They have like a photo album about how far back in their family this goes. So I was thinking about Children's Museum and I'm like, geez, well, how old can it be? Like maybe her grandmother was the first one. Then I looked it up and the first Children's Museum opened in 1899 in Brooklyn. So like theoretically, it could have been six generations of Joneses, which is like a healthy amount mm-hmm. you really just want to know if it's a good show or not and I just kept hearkening back do you remember when we we reviewed the who was show yes that yeah. like horrible like improv mm-hmm. comedy show for children about history and we yeah. talked about how we wanted more historical content for shows for kids and how there are so many steam oriented shows that come out and that's great But it's hard to really come up with good, entertaining shows that have a more historical angle. And this is not that. (laughs) Like It is an adventure show, and it has fun things about it. To me, I would have liked a little more real history, a little more clarity on what it was the Jones were doing there. Like, Mm -hmm. there are some good lessons, museum-centric lessons about, like, oh, it's important to preserve this history for the future as opposed to make a profit on it. 
I liked that angle a lot. I guess my takeaway is maybe this gives grown-ups a more complex world to ponder than Doc McStuffins did, but even as a museum-loving nerd, I can't say that this show is in any way better than Doc McStuffins. Sure. Well, your description uh, makes me want to watch it. What age do you think it's good for? I would probably bump it a little bit older than Doc McStuffins, but your kids are definitely on the old side. Right. All right. Should we move on to the Snoopy show? Sure. Yes. Give me a breather. Okay. I'm still trying to make the most of my Apple TV plus trial, although it's probably it can't be a trial turned anymore. over from trial. You so we're in. paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is an animated series inspired by the Peanuts comic strip. It was released starting in February of 2021. Season two recently premiered on March 11th, 2022. This is a super delightful show. If you like the Peanuts universe, the Peanuts world, it is for you. I felt like this was a little bit slower paced than more. This is a contemporary show, but it's a throwback to the original Peanuts, like the Charlie Brown specials. And there was a Peanuts show that was around in the early to mid 80s. Uh, so each like 25 minute episode is broken down into three separate stories. And I don't know if each episode has like a non verbal one with Snoopy and Woodstock getting into some shenanigans, but those were kind of funny. A lot of situational humor where the timing is just really good. A lot of slapstick humor. It kind of reminds me of Seinfeld and that it's a show about not a lot, Mm -hmm. but it's really uh, relatable and funny because they're just doing everyday things and making them funny and hard and Charlie Brown works through things. (laughs) The music is really good. It sounded very Vince Guaraldi, but it's not done by Vince Guaraldi because I think he's not around anymore. Um, But there's a composer named Jeff Morrow who's in charge of the jazz piano ensemble that does the soundtrack and that was very good lucy continues to be an awful person (laughs) (laughs) after all these years she's a grump oh that's true but pop culture does not respect her for it (laughs) the way she's presented as a grump we see her as a shrill and unreasonable karen not like a lovable grump like the making fun guy Okay, so here's my question about Snoopy. (laughs) Does it have like that same fundamental sense of like darkness and despair at the human condition that the early specials do? A little bit. Yeah, maybe not as pronounced as the TV specials that we remember. But yeah, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Okay, because I would worry, like we were talking about with more content being made for kids that they would kind of like dumb this aspect down. You don't feel like they did? No, Charlie Brown definitely has some kind of an anxiety disorder. Absolutely. And he still does in this in this show, which is maybe why I like it yeah. so much. <laughs> oh, that relatable everyman. <laughs> so I would recommend, I thought it was fun. I mean, especially for like adults who liked the original peanut stuff and want to step back into that world. Um, I think kids would like it too. Um, there's a lot for a lot of different age groups. 
you could have a pretty young kid like it for just like the physical humor of it. I think this was the first year that we really consciously watched both It's the Great Pumpkin and Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown with the kids. And I can't say that they love them, but I really appreciated the slower pace and like having something to show them that wasn't whiz bang action all the time. And I and they were mostly fine with it. So I do find the notion of this show appealing. Yeah, the pace is wonderful for a relaxing type show. And I think part of it is the music really adds to that pace and relaxation. Guys, I accidentally covered a show that's already been canceled, but I didn't know it when, because it's just been sitting on our watch list for ages. (laughs) So Head of the Class is a reboot, right? The original show aired in the 80s. Did you watch it? Do you have any memories of the original Head of the Class? Um, I think I did. I wanted to review this because my only memory of the original head of the class was a two episode arc in which the nerds participated in a production of little shop of horrors and i think this was my first exposure to little shop of horrors and for that from there obviously i went on to watch the lovely rick moranis movie version and be introduced to something that has been a net good in my life so i had positive vibes toward the original head of the class and I was interested to see where this reboot was going for a previous lightning round I had covered the reboot of Saved by the Bell which turned Mm -hmm. out to be surprisingly good so I was optimistic the plot is pretty blah a new teacher comes to town to shake up a classroom of grade obsessed teens encouraging them to experience life outside their textbooks. It's kind of a weird show to reboot in the nerd is king era, which I don't know, maybe we're seeing a slight departure from with all these like joyful Silicon Valley takedown shows that are (laughs) happening right now. But I still feel like the nerds are kind of top of the food chain these days. Mm -hmm. So It felt like a throwback, even though the show is set in modern times. Uh, It had a laugh track, which is always a bit jarring. Yeah. I graded it on a continuum of these, like, teen shows that are really for tweens. They're, like, aspirational teen shows, which Mm -hmm. we haven't covered a ton of. Mm -hmm. We did Night Squad on Nick ages ago and the uh, School of Rock show. Is that the one, the mystery show where they're like in Amsterdam? No. Oh, I forgot about that one. Hunter Street. No, Night Squad was the one that they were seriously at like night training school. Okay. Oh, night. (laughs) K-N-I-G-H-T. Yes. Yes. No, I now I remember that really well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I had forgotten Hunter Street. I didn't group that one in with this because I feel like it was aesthetically different. Mm -hmm. But... I think quality-wise, this head of the class reboot was maybe more like those Nick shows. Oh. I didn't watch many of the Disney Channel shows that launched pop stars, like your Hannah Montana's or your like Wizards of Waverly Places, but I imagine you could easily slot this among those as well. I, it's just a great example of why not everything needs a reboot, even in our mm-hmm. reboot happy times. 
if you, or if you're going to reboot a lesser known product, like you got to give it a really big twist, like right. Lord and Miller style. If you have to pick an 80s teen show revival, I would say obviously pick the new Saved by the Bell. That was a lot better and yeah. is still being produced. <laughs> but if you have to pick one teen show that was canceled too early after only a year, of course, of course, please watch the wonderful Julie and the Phantoms, which remains one of the only shows I have said I would watch alone voluntarily and then actually did. (laughs) Uh, So head of the class, definitely not worth your time. And that's, I guess, all I have to say about it. That's too bad. I did just look up the cat, like the promo picture from it. And Mm -hmm. I did watch that as a kid. And I really, I remember liking it. Do you remember anything else that went on other than Little Shop of Horrors? Because I got nothing. From the plots of that show? Yeah. I distinctly remember, like, there's a guy who's like a motorcycle dude, like a cool guy, and he wants to be a writer. And he submitted like a short story and he like got accused of plagiarism mainly, maybe. And then he realizes that he accidentally took the plot from like another like a classic novel and made it his short story. I don't know why I remember that so specifically, but I do. It was from a time before the whole hip teacher became such a cliche, like in the pre-Dangerous mm-hmm. Minds era, when yeah. that was still kind of a an interesting trope, whereas now you see a teacher come in who's like rapping like the kids and it's hard to pull off. And this Mm -hmm. show could not pull it off. (laughs) That's too bad. That's disappointing. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us on this lightning round. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com and find us on all the socials, still on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and even Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show and movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye! Bye! Screen time! Screen time!